I want you to succeed at things that you never thought were possible, and I want you to fail at things that you never thought were possible. But I just want you to take that failure and move forward. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. I am your host, L. Ray. It has been an absolutely crazy week. Um, well, not really. It was calm until today, where two hours ago, I literally got this wisdom tooth removed because I couldn't go to sleep last night at 2 o'clock in the morning, so I had to make that happen. So I'm going to tough through it tonight because uh, we have a great guest. Um, for most of you guys who don't know, my daughter, Jasmine, actually was diagnosed with autism at two and as we go along and i learned to parent having parented you know two kids before her you learn more stuff every day and um i'm obviously not the only person going through this same thing so everybody else is out in the world whether you are personally or not whether you know somebody that is or not i decided this week we'll bring in what i personally consider a pro when it comes to this thing and she'll give us some a little bit more information on what she's doing um it is actually the principal of the autism inspired academy new autism inspired academy um share harris i'll bring her in right now Give me one second there she is how are you tonight good thank you thank you did i miss anything well. in my intro that i uh, no, you did not. No. <laughs> how how is everything? You know, with the craziness going on. Yeah, everything's going really well. You know, it's been overwhelming the last couple of months. We're excited to get open and get our kids in school and just start our school up. And it's been a really amazing journey. I feel like there's like so much information online right now, like that I don't know when we're even opening. Like one day it's like other state is opening now and some some other state is opening then. I think the last thing I saw today was a one week delay or is is your school different? No, so our school's different. We uh, actually follow by this. We're bound by the state, so we follow the Florida Department of Education, like for the state of Florida, um, and obviously keep the safety of our students and staff first and foremost, but we're opening August 24th uh, with the same date as Pinellas County Schools. We try to follow their cal calendar as close as possible. Okay. What? So this is a question I've been asking myself for years. What is your background? What is your nationality? Where are you from? So I actually was born in England back in 83. Uh, and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life. And then my dad, who's African-American, my mom is white, she's British, and my dad is American. And so he lost his job. He worked for British Airspace. And my mom was like, let's try to go to America and see what opportunity that brings. So we actually moved over to Washington State, and we kind of bounced around. We lived there for a little while. Then we moved to North Carolina and just a lot of uh, issues and everything going on there for my parents. So they moved down to Florida and uh, I moved down here when I was about 14. And that's how we ended up down here in Florida. Uh, at the time, I, I hated it. I didn't like it. I wanted to go back with my friends and I was just so mad at the world for my parents, you know, dragging us down here. Uh, and the heat and, you know, we moved into a house that had no AC for oh the first God. two years. 
Yeah, it was rough, but, uh, you know, I came to love it and then, um, just everything kind of went from there and ended up staying here and just starting my journey here with in the autism world, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. If, had I known the UK thing, I would have wrote a whole other page on just UK questions that I have <laughs> alone. Um, well, I mean, personally, my introduction to you and, um, we moved down here the same type of idea and you know all of our kids were mad at us other than jasmine really because she really is just like well whatever happens i'm there and i'm gonna have fun but um yeah, yeah. the older girls had their social lives and everything and um we were in what is i grew up in a top 25 public school brookline massachusetts and we moved to newton and our kids newton is a top 10 public school in the united states safest city in the united states and um as far as the other girls, they handled them fine. When it came to Jasmine, it was like, let's build a separate room somewhere and try to try to yeah. take you through a separate room. And I personally came through special education, not obviously at the level of autism, but it was a place where I was put in a position where I didn't have a learning disability. I had ADHD and I was put with people that had real learning disabilities. So it was like, I can be as disruptive as I want and then bring it all together when it's time to be smart as soon as I want to. Yeah. So yep. it, it was kind of a detriment to me because there was nobody pushing me to be, you know, better than I was. And with that being said, it was almost like a four year span where Jasmine learned nothing. And when I look at yeah. her growth from when she was younger, you know, everything else is, was on time, walking on time, spelling on time, were, you know, saying full words, all the stuff that you expect babies to do on time. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, they told us that and they put her there. And I couldn't tell whether it was a um, them kind of hindering the situation. So we kind of took her in, brought her in professionals. But to be honest, we didn't see any, you know, rapid growth until we came here and she met you. Yeah, she, um, oh, Jasmine, I mean, I love her to death. She's amazing. I'm so excited that she's coming to the school. But yeah, I remember that time when you guys came in and I remember reading through all of her information. And basically, I just remember the one thing that your uh, wife had told me and like the information on her plan was just that she didn't, um, you know, like she would do something and they would remove her from the class and then she would just be outside of the class. And it was like, and I was like, no, that's not the right thing to do. I mean, once they realize that what they do get them out of what they don't want to do, then they are, I mean, they're very smart, very intelligent. They'll do that every single time, you know? And so I remember, uh, you know, meeting Jasmine and her just laughing and just being really like silly and everything. And when she came into the class and she would do something, I'm like, nope, we're going to work through this. And she, I mean, she learned very quickly that, you know, we're not going to leave the class. We're going to stay in here. We're going to work our hardest. And that, you know, we had expectations for her. And I think that's the difference between, you know, a good teacher and a great teacher is that you have these expectations that are high enough where they can obtain them. And then you can keep pushing them forward and helping them thrive. And I mean, that's really why we started the school. I mean, because we want kids to thrive. And I think so many times I talk to parents and they're like, you know, we're my son or daughter, they're safe and they're loved. And, you know, my business partner and I were like, well, that that shouldn't be it. I mean, that's great that they're safe and loved. But what about thriving? What about feeling having a purpose, you know, feeling confident, being self-aware, knowing how to go down into the community and give back to the community? I mean, there's no reason why any of these kids can't do that. But it takes 
you know, it takes dedication. It takes people believing in them and people teaching them the right way to be able to access. I th- yeah, I mean, I think that, and we'll move forward to that. It's, it's for for anybody that doesn't know, I said it in the beginning, Autism Inspired Academy. Actually, during this podcast, I have the link up in the Facebook Live that you can donate to the Autism Inspired Academy as well. Um, if you like the podcast, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube and Perfect Audio, Facebook and Perfect Audio, and then I just added Google Podcasts because somebody told me about it. Um, I feel like depending on somebody's financial situation, they just think like, well, it's fine. You know, they got a place to live and, and, and we can go on. I, like I've worked in Massachusetts and saw somebody just basically hide a grown man at a place I worked and the family was so rich and he was just there at a job overnight um, forever. Like he didn't like to take planes. He didn't like to take anything. So a lot of those accomplishments, like what you're saying, some people aren't as intuitive as you are with even that statement. It's like they don't know. They don't want to know. They don't want to put in the effort to know what your goal limit is because they feel like it could wear them out. And and, and I believe with teachers, the same thing that I believe with police, they should be paid way more and only be able to do it for a certain amount of time because then you develop these preconceptions where it's like, you know, oh, I've seen this before. And everybody's different. You say it to yourself. You want yourself to be different when you look in the mirror, but now you, when you look at kids, you want to lump them all in the same basket. Um, did you always want to become a teacher? No, I actually, I didn't. I, uh, when I, I mean, my first, I mean, when in my teen years, I had kind of no idea, but I always wanted to go, had a little bit of a medical field and I actually wanted to be a doctor, a pediatrician as I kind of got older. And so, I mean, kind of a crazy story. I had like a CBS and just uh, went through jobs like that, Target, CVS, and I went into the military, I got ill, I came out um, early, and so I was working at a CVS, and I I quit one day, I just, the CVS had got robbed, and it was like crazy for me, and so I ended up getting a job in the school system working one-on-one with a child, and the first year, I just was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, like, I want to work with kids, I love of kids, I always had a passion for working with kids. One with the student just was really difficult, and you kind of, no training, kind of get thrown into it. You know, there's no training, there's no people that you know what's and so I went to the principal and I said, You know, I don't know. I said, I'd, I'd love to be somewhere where I could potentially learn, you know, how to work with kiddos. this self-contained autism classroom and I just I kind of I I fell in love with it wasn't until um, I transferred to another school and I absolutely phenomenal ever did in my bachelor's degree she taught me everything I know about working with kids having expectations, helping them thrive. And so I was working with her and I still was going to school trying to do like this. And I got sick. I got ovarian cancer at 26. I, you know, it was pretty bad and I had to take a semester off school. And that semester I took off school changed my life. And I just being with the kids and seeing the impact that I had on them and seeing how much, you know, they meant to me during that time and how priceless it was to be able to know you changed a life. Uh, after that semester that I took off, I went back 
back and I said, I, I want education. I want to be a teacher. My advisor laughed at me. He, he laughed at me. He's like, what? He's like, come on, you're going to go do pre-med. And I said, no, I want to be. I said, this is what I want to do. I said, I want to open a school one day and I want to change kids' lives and the school to be a teacher and went through schooling and didn't really two years ago. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, you had the idea to to get to that school point the entire time. I think of stuff like that all the time because if somebody hasn't done it, then it's impossible for them to tell you, you know, whether you can or cannot. But yet they always want to, and it's like, yeah. listen, I get it. It's, it's a work in progress. But the more that I learn and move forward towards it, you never know what you'll accomplish. Actually, it's funny because I'm. While I'm doing this, Jasmine is with her mom working on an episode for her podcast because she saw mine and decided that she wanted to start her own. So we went through the whole things for the for for her to, to kind of oh, set it up herself. It. And it's, it's specifically kind of what you were talking about to to, and I do it with all my kids. Not only my all my kids, but any young man or woman that I run into that's looking for kind of guidance in life is the way that you set goals to achieve them. So like, hey, it's one thing if you say some shit. Hey, I want to do this. I don't just say stuff. I say, let's do it right now. Yeah. Let's put together the plan so that we can do it so that you can understand how hard it is, or how easy it is. And let's start going through those steps. But um, so you knew the entire time that you wanted to open a school. I figured like it was you were at the, the, the first school and you were just like, you know what? Forget this. I need a school. Yeah, no, I just kind of was like, like I always knew I wanted more kids, more families, more parents. And. Uh, and more teachers. And, and so what I learned is that, you know, when I was working, working in the school system and I was an assistant myself through school, uh, raising a child and, you know, and I learned that, you know, you touch those nine kids lives that are in your class and then and, uh, they move on to the next class. And that's not, not always a great class. It's last and so they would move on, and then like, what happens then? You know, and then you that you because they're not in the same structure, or the same environment. And so that that was cool, uh, really. And so I always had that, uh, you know, goal to do that. And it was funny because when I went into teaching my first year, I remember telling my best friend, I said, "I'm going to teach for five years. That's it. Five years in a classroom. I mean, I'm one of those people that I'm just always trying to learn more." move forward um i can't stay stagnant you know i can't be still for a long period of time and so i said i'm going to give it and i think it was five and a half years is when i left the school system business partner and i opened the camp and, and then towards opening the school so you know i just you always have to have that goal and just like i do with the kids and help them move towards certainly, it certainly um do you hold any spe specific special like certifications for autism or do you have to hold specific certifications to work in your school? Cause I have a lot of friends that are teachers up North that they're always like, Oh, I might come down there. And I'm like, Oh, well, teachers make a good amount of money down here, especially compared to up North and especially compared to what you can do with it down here. Yeah. So I have a uh, master's in special education, but I also have a master's in educational leadership um, so that I can be a principal in the state of Florida. I hold my license for that. You don't actually have to have that for a private school, but I wanted to because I wanted to understand the structure of how a school runs other than aside from the children, you know, the budget, the financial piece, all of that. And so to work at the school, we prefer that a uh, teacher has a four-year degree, preferably in special education. Um, but we are really looking 
just that just that peace that people have um, where they're willing to be coachable and learn and you know really go through a program to be the best they can be for the kids uh, so like one of our teachers has a bachelor's in uh, leader development and so and has a, a family member that's on the spectrum as well so has a lot of experience in that way um, so it's not always specifically a teaching degree but we just try to look for those unique uh, people that want to come work at a very unique school because I mean we're the only school in Pinellas County that's specifically for children with autism um, there's no other school like it in Pinellas and uh, we're just really thankful to be able to give back to these kids unquestionably I mean aside from the school that like I said me firsthand seeing your demeanor and the way that you take on the challenges when it comes to the kids I know that it's going to be completely different anyway um, so I guess Inside of what you said, because you did say like a lot of different things that you did specifically to open a school, what do you need specifically to open a school? Like say somebody just wanted to open a school tomorrow. Um, so, I mean, it's actually not extremely difficult, but we're taking the McKay scholarship and the Gardner. So we have to go through a lot of the state regulations uh, with the Department of Education. So, I mean, our first challenge was the building space. Uh, the previous building we were going to utilize fell through. And so then we went out and we're really looking for a building space to rent. And it was just kind of crazy. I mean, you know, we'd have to pour like $100,000 into renovating a building to make it a school to meet code. Um, it's where we ended up deciding to purchase the building. And so you have to meet all building code for all the inspections. And, uh, radon inspection just to make sure everything the facility's safe and then um, just going through the VEX program to make sure which is like a background check program nationally for the FBI to make sure everybody yeah. is you know good that aspect and then just really I mean creating the budget and running through the budget I mean it took, nine, it took us nine months to create our business plan and our budget and it's just always pieces um, so you know, really took the last two years we've been working on this to open our doors in August. So it's definitely not a fast problem. And if it is a fast process, it's probably not done right. right? Unquestionably. <laughs> and then they throw coronavirus on top of you. Hey, open up. Yeah. <laughs> All those books you read, throw them out. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. We have a con bio that uh, is the president of some schools up there. And we were talking the other day and she said to me, she's like, I mean, it's overwhelming and crazy opening a school. She's like, but during this time, she's like, you guys are amazing, like rock stars, you know? So definitely made it. What are in doing this? A lot of the kind of misconceptions you hear when it comes specifically to autism by teachers, by parents, because when most people hear it, then especially from us up North, like you immediately equate it to like, Doug Flutie and Flutie Flakes. And then you think like, okay, this kid can't talk at all. So what are like different things that you've heard and, and how do you kind of dispel those rumors? Um, so one of the biggest things I see is, I mean, and even with parents, my child gives eye contact and my child's social, so they can't be on the spectrum. And, or my child has empathy or that kids on the spectrum don't have empathy. And that's actually a huge misconception. First of all, I know a lot of students that give great eye contact, better eye contact than myself, probably. Um, it just really depends on who they are. You know, every kid is unique and children with autism do have empathy. It's just shown differently sometimes. And uh, sometimes you really have to just spend a 
time with them to really get to know them and who they are and how they show that empathy. Um, because we have seen amazing things happen at our camp. Some of our students or campers that are higher functioning paired with some of our students who aren't as verbal or, uh, um, you know, are on the lower end of the spectrum. And I mean, they're playing together, making friends, they're, they're peers, they have friendships, they're playing games together, they're engaging, and, and they have a ton of empathy for their peers. Uh, so that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. It doesn't always look the same, but it is there. Is you know that whole he knows better, he knows better, or she knows better, or um, that drives me crazy. It's actually in one of my trainings for the teachers. I don't ever want to hear that for. Doesn't really matter if they do or not, because they're not thinking about it. They're being impulsive. They're not able to regulate themselves, and so they're not thinking about if they know exactly what to do because they're in a situation that's preventing that. Yeah. So, you know, that just, I, I don't like to hear those sayings and uh, that is, you know, let's not say that they know better. Let's teach them how to handle that in the situation that they're in. Um, some other misconceptions is that, you know, children that are nonverbal um, don't have anything to say. They have a lot to say. And it's our job, I think, as educators and just as human beings to help them figure out what they have to say to us, uh, whether that's with a device, whether it's with the whether it's typing on an iPad, um, I mean, there's so many different methods, and they have so much. Every child on the spectrum is has a lot of potential and a lot of potential. Have this school because we want to help these kids. You know, we want we want to see them thrive and. I just, it, you don't see it enough out there. You just don't see it. Yeah, unquestionably. I mean, I know when I was younger, we had like a entire week, like a disability week. That wasn't really a, a, uh, part of it at the time. But as I grew older, when I got to high school, because I was born in 83 as well. So we're, we're pretty much the same age. Um, we had, I had spoken specifically with a social worker who was pretty much responsible for changing my life. His name is John Anstey. And he was telling me about two kids that were in the school that, that had Asperger's, which obviously now Asperger's falls under autism spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. One of them was a math genius. And I mean, like any question you could ask them, it's answered without paper, without anything within two minutes. And the other one was all about like, just dinosaurs, everything dinosaurs, all the time dinosaurs. Yeah. And yeah. they'd be in math class and talk about dinosaurs, and they're trying to organize it from them. But I think exactly like what you said, I, there was a kid when I was in camp, he had Tourette syndrome, and they had a, a, like a, his assistant come and explain everything to the people in the camp, and they gave us all a cup with dry ice in it. And they said, we need you to stop this ice from steaming, and you don't get anything. So that was the perspective they kind of put to everybody, where it was yeah. like, yeah, you couldn't stop it, could you? Um, well, that's yeah. what it's like for him to be acting on his emotions. And I just think that, you know, it really is going to come to people wanting to open his, uh, their eyes to learn as much as you want to teach. And when it comes to that point, we'll be, you know, a better country, let alone a better school system. Yeah, I agree. And that's why, you know, we really are going to pride it. We pride ourselves on being a training hub. I mean, we want our teachers to stay with us. We want our staff to stay with us. But at the end of the day, if we can teach them how to better educate children with autism and then they go out and into the public school system or they go open their own school. I mean, that's just one more person that's out there that knows how to help. 
you know, and so we want to be a training facility. We want to invite people in to be able to come in and see how we do things and learn from that. And uh, hopefully one day be able to go out and consult with different school districts to, you know, go into their programs and help better them and help better the teachers as well. Um, you know, I had this uh, this kid in this pre-K class that I worked in a long time ago. It was one of the first kids that I worked with and uh, three years old and he had minimal language, just more sounds. And uh, his mom wanted him to communicate. You know, she wanted to give him a voice because he had a lot of behaviors. He couldn't ask for things that he needed, things that he wanted. So she started doing the PECS program, which is the picture yep. exchange communicators. And so everybody told her that he couldn't do it because he was very sensory and, you know, kind of all over the place at times. And everyone said, you know, he's not going to be able to do it. He's not going to be able to carry that book around. And uh, so anyway, she spent probably about six months on just basic. I want Pop-Tart. I want cheeses, I want to eat. I want to drink. And so he started bringing the book to school. Well, it was when I was sick. And so I was out for a few weeks. And so I didn't see him. And one first day I came back. I walked in and this kid, three years old now, nonverbal with his PECS communication book, hasn't really used it for too much other than asking for food and drinks. And I walk in and he sees me and he's just smiling from ear to ear. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I missed you so much. You know, I want to like run up to him and hug him. And he runs up to me with his book and he puts it down on the ground and he's flipping through, flipping through all the way to the back. And at the back were pictures our pictures of the teachers that he had and he had never used them before and he gets out my picture and puts it on his sentence strip and he gets out I want and hug and he gives it to me I want hug Miss Harris and that was his first time communicating anything other than food and water and that was the moment that really changed my life you know that was when I went to my uh, advisor and I said I want to be a teacher because this is the impact that not just the education can have on them but the connection that you form with them and that's really, you know, having that connection, that bond that I was on for three weeks. And, you know, this this amazing little boy, he he remembered me. He loved, loved me. That was motivation for him to, to communicate. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, I, I completely see that that situation and, and, and how it can change everything. Because I like I do a nonprofit in Costa Rica. We teach like 300 kids a year. Um, health and wellness, we bring football players, and we, we kind of communicate with them throughout the year as well. I've had to move it, obviously, twice since now, so it's not until November. So, I, I mean, I've been working with kids since I was early in high school. We did, like, a peer education program. We would travel school to school and, and teach them um, kind of how drugs can affect your life negatively and, and different outlets on how to handle your anger and stuff like that, which I'm working on every day, even now. Okay. <laughs> um, but... Um, I feel like you have found a, a happy medium behind, you know, love and discipline when it comes to especially autistic kids, because specifically in the case of Jasmine, like when people encounter her, they're like, what do you mean? She's autistic because, you know, the first time you meet her, she's talking normal, regular. And because of those okay. misconceptions, everybody just thinks like they're supposed to see something so glaring that, oh, something's wrong here. But um, do you think that we're sheltering them too much? Do you think that there's a way that, not in the case of me, but like in terms of what you see on an average with parents, that there's certain aspects in which they certainly can push more and they're just not? 
Yeah, I mean, I think with parents, um, I mean, it's it's hard. It's difficult. I think when, in my experience, when parents have the right kind of direction, uh, they're absolutely willing to push their kids. I think it's hard, I mean, for any parent because, you know, we love our kids and we don't want to see them hurt or in pain. And I think with a child with autism and you're trying to push them, it's a lot different. It looks a lot dealt down and crying and upset, then you kind of want to back off because you don't want to see your child like that. Um, and I think also, you know, parents don't have the resources or they have people telling them, well, you know, you need to get them to go to the bathroom on the toilet. You need to get them to sleep in their own bed at night, but they don't have somebody physically helping them or walking them through all of those situations. Um, and so they just don't have the support. And when it becomes difficult, it's easier for them to just let the child sleep in their bed or just to put on a pull-up. But I'm consuming. Yeah, I mean, you're getting caught in your life. You're trying to do your work. You're trying to do everything you can. It's funny because yeah. I, I just got a comment in the live, and it said the popular examples are extreme. Uh, for example, Rain Man. So when people yes. look at stuff like that, there's no – Middle ground. It's the same way that I got put in special education. There's no, there's no me. So, like, yeah. I imagine, like, in the case of like the the Aspergers, there's no you depicted on TV or, or or in a way that somebody can go, oh, okay, well, that's how it is. It's just like you're a fully silent kid or you're a fully, you know, running around kid, and everybody in between um, is kind of lost in the fold. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. There isn't really a, a good depiction out there. I mean, there, you know, every kid is just so unique and the spectrum is so wide that it's really, I mean, no, no child looks the same. And a lot of the kids that sort of fall through the cracks or get lost are the higher function children because they get put out in gen ed, struggling and there be, you know, an issue and they're trying to help them, but they can't, but they don't want to put because you know they feel like they don't fit there and, and so they really get shuffled around and lost and i mean there's plenty of other issues and self-contained and for students that on the, the other end of the spectrum notice with the higher functioning kids a lot of times they get lost out in gen ed in the middle school and they're just not able to survive they get bullied i mean a lot of other what's self-contained so self-contained is when it's on the autism spectrum like what my class was um, that was a self-contained class. It's only children on the spectrum or another, you know, in our county, it looks like that. Another county looks different. Like you said, they don't have just autism classes. They have classes for children that are intellectually disabled or children that have a disability and they're just all together in one class. Unquestionably. I mean, yeah. And I imagine that there's a bunch, especially in like Florida, a bunch of people that just fall through the cracks of never even being diagnosed in the first place. Absolutely. Especially girls. I mean, girls are underdiagnosed. Absolutely. And most uh, girls don't get diagnosed until they're 19, 20, and they're seeking diagnosis by, you know, on their own as, as they, they just feel know, something's wrong. Yep. So well, and, you know, they'll mimic what they see in other girls and it just looks very different. A lot of times I've heard a lot of older, you know, women now in their adulthood saying that they were diagnosed with anxiety and depression when they were now they've been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. So it just looks so different, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you think or have you heard of the term indigo children? No, I have not. No, I have not, actually. I guess it's um, kind of a term that's being kind of 
equated to a lot of autism spectrum kids as being like almost superheroes. Okay. Like for okay. instance, in the case in which I've seen with Jasmine, she's never been sick. And when I mean never been sick, I mean like I have not seen a runny nose. So yeah. I've kind of weighed that out and done some research on it and seen that type of thing where obviously, like, for instance, when I was speaking about the kid that knew math, like, he knew math more than the teachers in the school. And we're talking about a top 10 public school in the United States. Um, so what do you do? Like, do you just drag him along? Or is she, obviously, he should be teaching a class at some point. So we should get him into a point yeah. where he can teach it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, yeah, they definitely have those splinter skills and those, uh, definitely those strengths that you want to hone in on. I mean, I know, you know, a child on the spectrum that's an amazing drummer. I mean, amazing. It's like you want to take those skills and help them, you take those skills and utilize them for potentially could help them have a job when they're older or give back to the community when they're older. I mean, you really want to hone in on what those strengths are for sure. I mean, I, have so many different kids in, that have come across in my life that have different skills like that. Either they're amazing at math and it's not because they've even, you know, that any teacher has taught them that. They've gone and learned it on their own. I mean, they've gone online and they watch all different kinds of math videos and engage in different classes. They just learn it by themselves. I mean, I had a student two years ago who read high school level. I mean, his fluency was insane. He was five years old yep. and he read at a high school level. He's an amazing reader. So it's like taking that and being able to use it for something that's purposeful, you know, because it's great if they can do it, but then if it's just always like this hobby that they do or it's a skill they have, but it doesn't bring purpose to their life, then it's no better than the other schools that they don't have. So using it to find purpose and be able to use that strength to push them, to help them get a job when they're older. Um, that's what we always look to do is what are their strengths and how to use those strengths to propel them to the Use those strengths to propel them to I the I feel like level. when it comes to that type of thing that we are in, like, I watch a lot of, like, crazy conspiracy shows and stuff like that when it comes to certain things that are, that, you know, incomplete in the world or certain things that we don't understand that maybe some of these these people will understand, but because we are too busy trying to normalize them into society and telling them, no, you have to learn how to read like this, or you have to learn how to jump like this, that we miss what's so special and then therefore go, hey, you know what? This is so special that you need to be at another level of special. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you have to be an outside of the box thinker to educate children with autism, in my opinion. You have to be willing to think of really creative ways to, um, you know, get the information from them to help them communicate. Do know what they can learn, uh, because you know, I my business partner's son, he is on the spectrum, and you know, he's an amazing artist. He has some really cool art, and he could sit there and draw all day. You know, I mean, he he's amazing at it. I, I love seeing his art. And, you know, we have this curriculum that we use that you describe a picture verbally uh, to a child and they have to draw it how they're how they hearing it from it, yeah. you. And so we have the picture and we're looking at it, but they haven't seen it at all. And he drew the exact replica of this picture without seeing it based on what I said to him. And, uh, you know, and he has verbally he is probably around a five five-year-old level verbally um and he's 13 but he everything i said when it has to do with art yeah, he locks in 
chance that he can visualize it in his mind and he drew an exact replica. And I was like highly impressed. I'm like, this is amazing. Think outside the box. And you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Well, maybe you're not learning it this way. Um, so let me go this way. Um, so let me go other ways and learn it. And maybe it's a way I don't know, you know, but you have to go out and look for that and research it and figure it out and then present it to the child. Just you know? the fact that you said that alone um, speaks volumes. Because when you can say that you don't know something and you need to research it, it always is going to make you better. When you say that you know everything, the world is ever growing and changing. And, and the, the, the way that you spoke to that kid and, and art specifically, I talk a lot about music and hip hop and me not understanding what makes people famous or not. And um, I tell every time I talk about it, I tell a story about, I don't know if you've heard this story, there is an autistic kid that did a one-time helicopter flyover of lower Manhattan and then landed and redrew the entire thing on a wall. Yes, I did. I, yes, I, did. I saw that. And that, that to me is, how is that not more special than a Picasso? <laughs> Yes, it's absolutely amazing. And I think if people take the time out to truly um, get to know some of these kiddos and, you know, connect with them, they will let you see their gifts, you know, and I believe every single one of them if to share with us and bond with them and, and make them feel comfortable to a point where they're willing to share, you know, because they, they are connected. And I know for every child that is important to have that connection but for children on the spectrum more so even more so because their whole life they've gone through you know feeling like they're not being heard they're not being understand you know understood and that they can't communicate and so when you show them that you're willing to take you know that extra time to truly listen to what they're trying to say or trying to sign or trying to spell um they they know that you care and then they'll be willing to show you their true gifts yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, oh shit! Hold on, loosen up. My tooth, my tooth pain's starting to come back. <laughs> oh no, that's the worst. Tooth pain is the worst. I listen. I've had five. Uh, I have four crowns. I've had five root canals, and this is the worst. It's just me mismanaging my young kid life <laughs> and thinking that I could just yes. eat anything at any given time. <laughs> You know that, and you don't want to hear that. And then when you're older, you pay for it. You know, <laughs> for sure. Um, so let's get back to the school. What, as far as the state of Florida, are they telling you now? You need to be uh, that you need to do to be open. Um, so we have to follow the. I mean, we're following the CDC recommendations, obviously, with taking into account our students have you know a disability where you know they do. Uh, um, see our faces and they do need to make sure they can read our lips and that they can see our so and uh, they also you know have a lot of sensory issues I mean sensory dysregulation and sensory processing disorder so wearing a mask all day is extremely difficult for you know probably 90% of our students now some can mm -hmm. beyond to make sure our student population is safe uh, we're doing temperature checks in the morning and in the middle of the and students were doing a wellness check every in saying they haven't flown out of state anywhere they're not having any symptoms um we have the uv lights in the uh air systems that kills all, all the bacteria we're wearing face shields we've got hand sanitizer um, he's got their own 
above and beyond to make sure our students and staff are safe because that's first and foremost, obviously. Um, as far as stipulations, I mean, we had into the Florida Department of Education saying this is what we're doing, this is when we're opening, these are the precautions we're taking, and uh, that, so that was pretty much what we had to do in order to make sure that we were, you know, because the emergency order is for us to open. They want schools to open brick and mortar five days a week. And so they approved the plan that we put in place with all the CDC recommendations for sure to keep everyone safe. Um, what do you feel specifically that you guys are bringing to the table that nobody else has? I mean, I personally already know, but if you had to pitch yourself and say like, this is my school, fuck all these other schools. <laughs> um, so we, I mean, we are all about students thriving. Uh, and our foundation is social behavior and communication. So we are all about, we do social skills every day, behavior skills classes every day, and we work communication and uh, most of our curriculums um, embed language and they are utilized and designed specifically for children with autism. So we're not taking something that was designed for a child with a learning disability and trying to use it with a child with autism. These were actually research validated for children with autism to show that it does help them learn and help them understand and help them with their language. So, I mean, we're all about children thriving. I mean, high expectations. We have high expectations for our kids, for our staff. We are, um, and I'll be in every classroom training, every teacher working with every teacher. And I've already trained, I mean, one of our teachers I've worked with for five years. The other one we hired uh, the beginning of the year and she we worked with her at camp and did training through camp as well. So, I mean, we just want every student to thrive and we have, we have the staff, we have the curriculum and we have the foundation of giving them what a good academic program, but our academics are infused into our social behavioral program. Uh, so that's first and foremost, the kids, they need that. How to engage with people, uh, how to act, you know, behaviorally, how to regulate themselves, how to use, use strategies when they're out in public. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, our guys get strategies that they can use when they're feeling upset or a meltdown, but they don't work when they're out in the community. You know, they can't always, they don't always have an iPad with them or they don't always have this yeah. special teach them things that they can then generalize uh, you know, once we get through everything, uh, you know, a really good solid community based instruction program and we're going to be partnering with, with different businesses out in the comments out there uh, like I said once we get past and through all this and maybe that'll be in the following school year, um, getting them out there and getting them volunteering and working and you know making partnerships in the community for them to understand what you know they can do when they're older it's funny you say that because I actually forgot a question but because you said that reminded me of it because you when you get out and and work that and work in those type certain type of atmospheres and I, I know I've seen as of recently that um Schools are talking about just dropping teaching, kind of reading an analog clock or like yes. the cursive aspect. Yeah. What do you think of the clock thing? I think kids need to know how to read an analog clock. I mean, I know that we have our phones and we have our, you know, digital clocks that we can look at. But sometimes, I mean, you know, there that's all there is to look at and you're not going to understand the time. I mean, I think it's important. And I think kids, step, you're teaching analog 
clocked and you just do both at the same time for sure. Yeah, I mean, unquestionably, you're you're talk. I think everybody just looks at the world as if we're already here, so it's always going to stay like this. Not realizing that you might have to read a sundial. Trump's the president. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you never know. I mean, you never know what you know. One day there might be that there are no digital clocks and the, you know, batteries have gone out and you have no idea what time it is and you're running late for something. And all I those mean, back survival skills, I feel those are always going to be important, but it's like we're being pushed into a area where it's like, everybody just sit down, we will handle this. And you're like, uh, I want to handle it too. Like, I want to have a part yeah. in my own life other than you telling me what I need to eat and you telling me when I need to... We, we, I mean, coronavirus, it shows us like a lot of who's really in control and what you can do, where you can go in this, you know, free country. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that, um, in my opinion, at least what we're, we're, we're in, in with the people with autism that I've encountered, including my daughter, that it's always like a usual one thing that everybody gets kind of locked in, focused on and, I'm I'm always fighting in my household to make that thing more something that can be used as a societal tool than you know yeah something that's babies. purposeful for sure. <laughs> so it's it's very yeah. it's very hard because I'll get into it you know with my daughter where you know it just looks like anger for my part and I'm just like no like I'm trying to I wish you could be like I know we try million we try millions of things we like right now she's doing like a bunch of STEM stuff and I have friends that run full STEM programs so I get a lot of great ideas that I can kind of bring into the house and I used to love STEM and hands-on stuff when I was little more than anything so we try to do that yeah. aspect of everything to go like okay let's kind of take a step towards this and then of course mom is a, is a designer she's basically taking the classes that she's basically an architect so we try to bring because I know specifically with Jasmine loves to build houses and stuff like that so we try to teach mm -hmm. her every aspect of it this is how you do it and I can remember when I was a kid one of the things I can bring back the things that I remember from school, especially high school and grade school on maybe one hand. And they were all hands on. It was all like, I'm locked yeah. in. I'm paying yeah. attention now. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, they, yes, a lot of kids on the spectrum often have that one or two things that they love and that they want to know more about and they can almost become obsessive or becomes repetitive uh, with what they're into and I believe um, that you can take that and build an a starting point for us, you know, uh, like you said, with your uh, person, you went to high dinosaurs and they loved dinosaurs. And so sometimes where we start, you know, we get down with the dinosaurs and we're just playing with them or we start, you know, spewing off facts and talking about uh, different things that, you know, we looked up five minutes before on Google so that we can have something to yeah. connect with them. Uh, with. And so, you know, that's where we start. I, but I do think it's important to expand from that because, you know, not everybody is going to be into that one thing. So that's going to limit them on their social interaction. Uh, I think it's important to expand from that because, you know, they should be exposed to other things and potentially one of those something that they love. Uh, those little, you know, those things that they uh, know a lot about and they're very intelligent with and that that can be used for a purpose I mean I have a camper that just absolutely loves trains and knows about trains yep. that you could probably possibly know but I do believe there's 
there's a purpose for that. I mean, you can build off of that and maybe one day he'll be a train conductor or he'll design, you know, better type of railroad that can be utilized somewhere. I mean, who knows, you know, but trying to make it purposeful, most important piece and not letting it just be be to or focus on. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that because, like, in, in a lot of the research I do, when we fly, like, our spaceships, we're using the same technology from Werner von Braun that was in, like, the late 70s. So yeah. now when you go from the late 70s to now, the late 70s, in order to get one gigabyte of, like, memory space was what's called, like, a tape adapter. Uh, ejector machine that looks like a vending machine <laughs> that would take a yeah. like gig drive and put it in another place so you had that much memory and now it's down to the size of an SD card that's like this but yet we're still using oh. the same rocket technology from then and I feel like it has so much to do with us hindering people that are smarter than us it's like these people are smarter than us that kid that I knew that did math was smarter than everybody in the school when it came to math but yet we're saying, yep. you know, this is a detriment as opposed to holding him up to answer questions that we might not have the answers to yet. Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, I agree with you. And I think that uh, I mean, I think that's where it really comes into play. The piece that I was talking about with the social and communication piece, because I see a lot of our guys that get older and they're extremely intelligent, extremely intelligent, um, you know, 145, 155 IQs. But they don't have the tolerance level to be able to, you know, in a college setting and they don't have the behavior skills or they don't have the communication skills to even let people know like what they want, you know, and what they want to strive to be. And so I think that's why it's so important that when they are going through school, that there be an emphasis on the effect of their day as a teenager young adult they're not able to utilize some of these skills they have because they don't have the behavior and the communication piece you know they don't have the social piece and that inhibits them and i think that uh you know especially in the world today i mean you know everybody's always trying to be first and so you know no one's really going to take the time out to help anybody to be first especially in and America. so they There's have no question to about do that. that for themselves you know and have people like us in their corner that are willing to take the time out to show them that and teach them that and get them to the point where they can be first yeah. i mean um oh damn that's so true <laughs> uh so Two more questions. Okay. Fun stuff. Well, the first okay. one is not fun, actually. It's just a regular question. I um, have spoken with some parents just like in terms of uh, different thoughts about different ways that they've um, influenced their specific kids that are on the spectrum. And one, one that I've heard uh, recently is that gluten-free, um, no sugar, has seen completely different results and to, and to the point where they knew like oh you had sugar today i don't know if that's kind of you were riled up on sugar but i don't know if you know anything um as far as that or have done any research when it comes to that um yeah so you know i actually have celiac disease so i'm gluten-free which you know um has helped me immensely with inflammation but what's behind the sugar dairy it causes inflammation in the body and so um it's 
sort of back in the research and everything that inflammation can build up on your brain. It can build up on your stomach, especially for children with autism. They have a lot of gut issues. And so when that inflammation builds up, it can cause or be one of the causes of I mean, even heard, um, and that can cause behaviors and just being uncomfortable. And if they're not able to communicate that, I'm not saying that every child with autism should be on a gluten-free diet, but I, I think you have autism or not, eliminating uh, sugar and dairy is beneficial. I mean, I found it beneficial for myself, but it just comes back to the inflammation that it causes, you know, and I love campers and a lot of students at the school that are on gluten-free and dairy-free and sugar-free diets and I can definitely tell when they've had it or if you know they've had a cupcake the night before some extreme changes in kids and then in other kids you don't see behavioral changes where you know they start talking more or they're they start talking more or they're able to receive more information this is where it hasn't had had a great effect. Sugar is much limiting process and gluten dairy free is definitely beneficial. You hear that, Jazz? <laughs> no, I mean, if she's going to do it, I'm going to do it, which it's, once again, it's been my entire life trying to <laughs> dodge sugar. <laughs> I wish, hopefully I could do it. If we're, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it to, uh, together. So first of all, you're the only black woman I've ever seen with celiac disease, just for comedy purposes. And second of all, oh, you hear me? I think I lost you. You back? You back? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Well, you look like you're like in some red lights and stuff now. I know. I'm not sure what's going on. Disco ball. <laughs> so, last question of the night. You either get your best Karen story or your best crazy teacher to parent story. Okay, so my craziest moment as a teacher. You don't have to mention names or anything like um, that. We protect the innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> let's see. I don't know. I mean, it's just there's so, so, so much that happens. I mean, I, you know, truly, in my whole time teaching, I have always wanted to write a book, uh, you know, going off of the name of the organization, but Autism Speaks, because I. Just think some of the things that, you know, families really have no, you have a child on the spectrum that's <laughs> for sure. I mean, we, hear, we hear everything that happens and they just tell it all. And uh, we have some, you know, great things, some great conversations that come up in the classroom. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I really have a too crazy of a story. Um, I'm always so boom, boom, boom. And it's like, get them in and connect and get to know them and start you know working with them to push them forward you know we've definitely had some fun times some fun times with the kids and just listening to the different stories but i do love to tell parents i'm like you there's no secrets in your household when the kids come to school because they just don't know what they're supposed to say they'll say something the kids 
will say, no, you, you know, you told us not to say that, or we're not supposed to talk, talk about that, or, you know, so uh, excited to get back, get, get some things going at the school. Have you been to back to UK since you were 10? I have. Um, I went back when I was 17, and then I went back when I was about 22, 23. But I haven't been back in a long time, and I really want to go. I want to take my son and show him where I'm from and my history and background because uh, it's just so different. You know, I do I do miss it. I miss the culture. I miss the people, my family, my friends out there. I still have friends out there from when I was eight and nine years old. So yeah, it's just different. I, I, I say that because, like, when you said earlier that it's hard to keep masks on the kids, like, it's hard to keep masks on adults, <laughs> especially in the United States right now where people are just freaking out in private stores and going crazy about masks. So, I mean, what what is that showing to kids in general? And I wonder if that is kind of transferred to the way that people are in the UK because I haven't, I haven't been there. I've traveled, but I haven't been there yet. So I don't know kind of how they handle stuff or how they are currently handling stuff. Yeah, I don't know. They're just kind of stays and haven't really ventured out too much. I have been so swamped at the school that I feel like I am there from like six in the morning till seven at night and not really, you know, um, able to talk to many people when there's a five hour thing. My son is driving because, you know, he could take himself everywhere he needs to go right now while I'm focused on the school here. So, you know, it's just been a little little crazy. I've kind of been away from it and focusing on just getting the kids back and making sure everybody's safe and, sure. you know, doing all that good well, stuff. that was the last question. It was everything I dreamed of. Thank you um, for everything that you do, and thank you for putting your heart and soul into this school um, obviously I stand behind you. I'm going to donate when I get off this and I'm going to make sure that everybody else donates that was watching this as well. Um, like I said, the autism inspired Academy in Clearwater. Um, if you're in Florida and you have an autistic child, send them, they can come meet my child. Um, actually, you know what, before, yeah, before I get off, one of the biggest things that I did see a change when you left was the girls on the run program socially was great for jasmine specifically so if there's a way yeah. that you can tie that in please do awesome yes we will definitely look into it and we're also going to be opening a, a navigators chapter soon here scout group and things out in the community we're and then well, I guess one question that I missed that I want to ask is if somebody wants to volunteer there and learn from somebody like you and learn the policies or something like you, do they need to be carrying some type of certain certification? Um, so they just have to go through um, so they, uh, the application, getting background checks, and getting background do those things and come in for the initial meeting and training, you know, hopefully learn from us and learn from my staff and then go back out into the community and teach other people. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I mean, that is it. Thank you. Um, Thank definitely you so very informative. I loved it. it. And, um, like I said, I'll make sure that we do the donations and you just keep doing what you're doing and changing the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No Thank problem. you. Thank you. Have a great night. All right, you too. Bye.